what we're about to go into and the story we're about to go into is the most important moment in all of human history ever. So you've had history in school. You've learned things about our past. You've heard stories from maybe family members about things that have gone on. You, you, you have heard about some significant events. I mean, Tiger Woods just won the Masters again. Um, there's, there's significant things going on in our world, both now and in the past, but nothing, nothing compares to what we're going to talk about tonight. And so up to now, we've been looking at the life of Jesus. So it's this series called Revolutionary because the idea is something revolutionary changes the status quo. It changes what's been established and, and it turns it around and it does a 180 and it turns it into something completely different. And Jesus, the way he lived his life, the way he did his ministry, the things he said, the miracles he performed changed everything for the people he interacted with, but not just them. It changes all of us because Jesus changes everything. He changes the way our lives look now and he changes the way our lives look for eternity because of who he is and what he's done. And so those teachings and those miracles, some of those things we've looked at over the past four weeks are huge. And they were all leading to this moment that we're going to talk about tonight. This is the end of his life on earth in this form of Jesus, this bodily form, this human but yet God. And the whole reason he came was to ultimately do what he's going to accomplish in the story tonight. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture. So if you've got a Bible, you can look at it, but it's probably going to be easier for you to just look at the screens because I'm going to put it all up on the screens, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, 23, 24. We're going to jump to another section of scripture for a second, but it's a lot of it, but I want you to stay with me and really try to listen to what's going on here because I wanted to read a lot of it and not just paraphrase all of it because I think it's important for us to get the details of what's going on here. Because everything that's happening is significant. And catching the details that are in here are important. Because as we figure this out, I, I think the more you're going to start to see, and I hope the more you start to see how personal this story is for you and how personal it is for me. This isn't just some event that happened 2,000 years ago. This isn't just something that happened to some dude. This is the most important moment in history, not just for other people, but for you. Like this is the most important thing ever because it is about not just then, but now. Okay. So we're going to go to Luke and we're going to just jump right in. Okay. We're going to go into Luke chapter 22 and we're going to look at a, a section of verses from verse 47 to 53. This is Jesus praying with his disciples. He's had his last meal with them, the last supper. You might've heard of it. I would love to get into that. We don't have time. So what we're going to do is pick up after that. He's been praying with his disciples in the garden. He's had a conversation with God. And now this is where we pick up the story. It says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, one of his disciples, one of the guys who has been walking with him for the past three years, who knows him really well, um, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Now that wasn't weird back then. Okay. Uh, I know a lot of the guys in, in the room are immediately like, wait, what's going on? Um, 
it's, it's just the way you greeted each other. You, if you are ever in Europe, that's the way you greet each other. You do like the kiss on the cheek thing. It's like, it's just what you do. It's different than here. So it's not a weird deal. It's a normal greeting. Um, so Jesus asked Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus's followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them actually struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. When Jesus then said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders, who had come for him? And they, he says to them, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. When darkness reigns. So let's kind of break this down for a second, and then we're going to keep going with the story. We're going to keep progressing, but I want to make sure we're getting what's happening, okay? Jesus, perfect human being, never done anything wrong, literally praying somewhere in a garden. He's with his disciples praying, they're doing nothing wrong. And then you see this guy walking up with some dudes with torches and clubs and swords. And the disciples and Jesus kind of all start to get what's going on here. Jesus had just at the Last Supper, just not long before this, said, one of you is going to betray me. And they all started arguing about who's going to be the one who's going to betray Jesus. Well, now it's really apparent who the one is. It's Judas, because he's walking up with these guards who have come to take Jesus, to arrest him. Now, if you read the Gospels, you, you start to pick up on this pattern that the elders and the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, they're, they're looking for a way to arrest Jesus. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. They're looking for a way to arrest him, to kill him, to get him gone, because he's causing a lot of disruption. Because again, Jesus changes everything, right? So he's causing people to question like some of the things that they've come to believe about God and come to believe about the way that they're meant to follow God and the way they love God and the way they love other people because Jesus is like up in the level of all that stuff. And so he's disrupting what's there. The elders don't like this stuff. The church folk don't like this stuff. So they're looking for a way to arrest him, get him killed. And so as soon as these guys show up, everybody knows what's going on. And so the disciples do what I think some of us would do if somebody was coming at one of your friends, like one of your best friends, somebody's messing with them, maybe bullying them, maybe, maybe doing something that is causing everybody to be like, whoa, hey, you mess with him, you mess with me, you mess with her, you mess with me. Like it's, it's we're all, we're all gonna, we're all gonna be in on this, okay? This isn't just you mess with one of us and that's it. So all the disciples kind of are looking at each other, looking at Jesus like, what do we do? Are we better throw down? Do I need to drop some bows? What do I need to do? I'll get my knee on. Like, I will hurt somebody. Drop the heel down, you know? And so they don't know what to do, so they look at Jesus because Jesus is their leader. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. They're like, hey, what do we do? Peter doesn't even wait for an answer. He just gets his sword out and just starts to, and if he really swung that many times, he's a terrible shot. Because apparently he cuts off the right ear of one of the guards and Jesus immediately stops him. Now, if you read this story in another gospel, Jesus actually tells him, quit it, Peter. 
If I needed someone to defend me, I could have thousands of angels here at my word. Like I could just say, angels, and here they are. Like they're all here and they're ready to fight. And they're going to they're gonna do a lot more than just cut an ear off. Like they're, they're going to they're gonna take care of some business. But Jesus isn't going that route. He's like, stop, no more of this. And there at the very end, it's interesting because he's like, okay, so you're coming to arrest me. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been around you this whole time. No one's ever done anything to try to even threaten to arrest me. Like this isn't, I don't know why all of a sudden now you're coming to me. Uh, but the very last sentence, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. He says it like he knows this is coming. This isn't a surprise to Jesus. He's like, no, 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 I get it. I know. This is, this is when this is supposed to happen. This is how this is supposed to happen. You're supposed to arrest me right now, and I'm going to willingly go. So he doesn't have his disciples fight for him. He doesn't swing on these guys. He doesn't yell at these guys. He doesn't get violent. He doesn't get physical. He doesn't get anything other than accepting of the situation and knowing what's coming. And his disciples kind of scatter. Peter actually kind of hangs back and follows Jesus. And where they're taking him. So they, they shackle Jesus up. They put him in handcuffs. They start walking him to where the elders, all the elders are gathered, the high priest. And in that journey is when we see the story of Peter denying Jesus. And so we're going to skip ahead. Um, and, and right after that happens, we're going to pick up in verse 63 and read through 71. And this is where the story continues to go. And this is what continues to happen to Jesus, Okay. It says, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. What is it that they're looking for him to say? What are they trying to get him to say? They want him to say that he's the Son of God. Because if he says he's the Son of God then he has just committed what is known as the, like, the big bad thing you never ever do, which is you blaspheme, which is lie about who God is and deny who God really is. And so by him saying he's the son of God, that he is indeed God himself, they, they feel like they've got him. They're like, oh, he just committed the number one worst sin ever. We don't need anybody to say anything else. He just said it. He said he's the son of God. Now that is a big deal if anybody else says that, right? Like if I say, guys, Savior of the world, son of God, God in flesh right here. If I said that, I am a lunatic and I have blasphemed. Like I have, I have said things that are untrue about God because I've said I am God. 
And that would be inaccurate because all of my life leading up to this point would prove otherwise. The things that I'm going to do later in my life will prove otherwise. I am not God. But when you look at Jesus' life, you get a different story. When you see the things he's done, the things he said, the ways he's acted, you actually get a very different picture. You get a picture of someone who is very much God. That things that only God could do, this guy has done. He said things and then backed them up. He's fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament that were hundreds of years old that we talked about four weeks ago. This, is, this guy has like fulfilled things that have all pointed to the fact that this guy is legit. He is actually the son of God. But this is all the stuff that they miss. This is all the stuff they deny. Even if they've seen it, even if they've experienced it, they're denying it. And so they're finding him saying this, I'm the son of God, and they're able to say, okay, he's committed the worst sin ever. Now we've got him. Now we can arrest him. Now we can have him put to death because he just committed the worst sin he could possibly commit. So you, you go from there and it, it just gets worse for Jesus. I mean, he gets arrested um, officially, put in a cell. He has a crown of thorns mashed down on his head. And these aren't just like little thorns that you find in your backyard. These are like multiple inches long thorns that are just jabbed onto his head. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's got, he's got just huge bruises and whelps all over his body. He's then made to carry this huge, heavy cross across town up to this place where he's going to be crucified with other criminals. And so there's a process that he goes through to get to this point. He talks to several rulers and every, no one finds fault in him. But the Jewish crowd just continues to chant because he's, he's committed the worst sin ever. And they, and they, they are not able to see that this guy is the son of God. So they're like, you got to crucify this guy. And so the rulers, not wanting to see like a riot happen, give in and have Jesus convicted. And at this point, he's carrying his cross across town after being beat, mocked, spit on. And he gets nailed to it. He's not just tied up there. Picture those, I don't know if you've been in Home Depot and you've seen these huge nails that are like this big. Or maybe you've seen like a railroad tie before. Similar to something like that. It is a big metal spike. These things are used to hold him up on this big wooden cross. And so it's here where we pick up the story in verse 35 through 43 of chapter 23 of Luke. And it says this, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The story keeps going in verse 44. It says, it was about noon. A darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sat and saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the, the woman, the women who had been following him from Galilee, who knew him, and uh, no, the ones who knew him, who had been following him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So Jesus is literally up on the cross. He's taking his last breath, his last moments here on earth. He's still being made fun of. He's still being mocked. Hey, if you're really the Son of God, just come on down. Just save yourself. If you're really the Messiah, go ahead. The, the guy who's being crucified right next to him is saying the same stuff to him. Then the guy on his other side is like, dude, what are you doing? We actually did stuff to be up here. This guy didn't even do anything. The guy who was a convicted criminal actually knows Jesus is innocent. And he's up there not for anything he's actually done, but because of what everyone's afraid of that this guy might actually be the son of God. And so he actually asked Jesus to remember him when he goes into paradise. Like, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says he will. So even in the midst of his torture, in the midst of his death, he's still saving people. Like he's still helping people. And it, it doesn't tell us this in this particular account in the gospel but in a different gospel, as you read this story, you hear Jesus tell God to, to forgive all these people that are making fun of him because they don't really understand what they're doing. They don't really get what it is they're saying, how it is they're feeling. So forgive them. So even up to his last breath, he's forgiving people. He's asking for forgiveness for people. He's telling people they're going to be with him in paradise. Jesus is continuing to give as he's giving the ultimate sacrifice. So Jesus is arrested. He's innocent, hadn't done anything wrong, but he's actually arrested for nothing. Then he's beaten, spat on, mocked. He's insulted. And then ultimately he's killed. Now, all of those things that you see right there, if you're just like, okay, let's just say Jesus is just a dude right now, okay? He's just a guy. 
but we know he's innocent. Like he didn't do anything to deserve this stuff. And, and if you found out he was arrested and then beaten and mocked and spat on and insulted and then killed and you found out he was innocent and didn't deserve any of that stuff, we would all be sick at our stomach about that. We'd all be mad about that. We'd all be like, oh my gosh, man, why? Why did that happen? He didn't deserve that stuff. Why, why did that why, did, why didn't someone not step in? Why did someone not stop this? Why was justice not happening for this guy? But now layer on the fact that Jesus wasn't just a dude. He wasn't just a guy. He wasn't just a normal person. Because Jesus did nothing to deserve what he went through. But the thing is, he could have avoided it if he chose to. Because again, if, if he's not a normal dude, he's actually God. And just like he told Peter, I could have angels here at any moment. He could have had himself rescued at any moment. He could have just levitated off of the cross at any moment if he wanted to. He could have made all of that stuff go away. He did not have to do any of it. He could have even done something as simple as say, disciples, let's go. Let's rally up. We're about to fight these guys. Like he could have even just said something like that. He did none of that. He accepted all of it. And so the question then becomes for us as we read this, it's like, why did he choose the path to the cross then? Why would he choose this? Why would he let this happen to him? Why would he go through all this pain? Why would he go through this embarrassment? Why would he let all of his creation? Literally, Jesus made all of these people that are making fun of him and, and beating him and killing him. He made them. And yet this is what they're doing to him. Why would he let this happen? We actually find the answer in a lot of different places in Scripture, but the one we're going to look at is in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 53, and this is the prophet telling us about this Messiah that's going to come to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And this is what he says about him. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So if the question is why, if you were to look in a mirror right now, you'd be looking at the reason. Because the reason is you and the reason is me. It's you and I. We're why he let himself go to the cross. You're why he let himself get beat. You're why he let himself get arrested. I'm why he allowed himself to die on that cross. It's you and me, but it's not just you and me. It's because he loves us. It's not just because we exist. It's because he loves us. And so this moment on the cross is so important for every single person on the planet. And it's this big, massive moment, but it's also the most intimate, personal, intense moment ever in history and for you personally. Because the why for why he's on that cross, literally Jesus in his head, because he's God, has every single person running through his brain. 
So for me to look at Easter, to look at Jesus, to look at what he did on the cross is not just, hey, he died for our sins. Yay, that's great. It's no, no, no. Jesus was on the cross because he loves Brad and he knows Brad messed up and will keep messing up. And I'm going to die for him. I'm going to take on the punishment that he deserved. He deserved to be arrested. He deserved to be beaten. He deserved to get mocked, made fun of, and put on that cross. But instead of him doing that, I love him. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take it. When you think about the things that you've done in the past, the things you have no idea that you're going to do in the future, things that are missing the mark that are causing you to not really live, you might be experiencing this stuff right now that's sucking the life out of you because it's sin. That's what sin does. It kills us. Jesus took that on the cross for us. He killed it on the cross for us. Your sin, my sin. Because he loves us. He endured something he never had to endure. He took on something that he didn't deserve because he loves you. And so this message is super personal. It's super intimate. But what's great about it is you don't have to just be like, okay, well, that's, I mean, if that's true, that's awesome. The if it's true part, you don't have to wonder that anymore because the story keeps going after the cross. When you look at Luke chapter 24, this is what it says in the first six verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. You see, when a body's dead and starting to rot, it starts to stink. And so you go put spices in there so it doesn't get all stinky and nasty, right? So these women are going to the tomb where Jesus was put after he died on the cross to make sure the body's not getting too nasty. And they found the stone was rolled away, this massive stone. They didn't want anybody to steal the body to make sure no one can say, hey, Jesus, Jesus, he's gone now. He rose from the dead. So they put this huge stone and guards in front of the tomb to make sure that can't happen because we don't want Jesus to continue to make a big mess, to continue to cause a revolution around here, to change things. So we're going to put a stone and guards here. That won't be able to happen. But these women walk up. The stones rolled away. The guards are gone now. And when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, clothes that were gleaming like lightning, stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Jesus loved us enough to not just die for us and take our punishment. He loved us enough so that he would conquer all that stuff, raise from the dead, still be alive so that we can now have life here and now and forever. And so when it's like, oh man, that's so awesome. He died for my sin. Yes, he absolutely died for your sin because he loves you that much. But he also loves you so much that he didn't stay dead. He loves you so much that he took care of all of it for you he got the keys to hell so that you don't have to endure any of that and you get to be with him forever. 
And that can start for you here and now. Some of you in here have experienced that, but you maybe haven't, you haven't really taken it and made it personal, like what we just talked about tonight. You haven't realized that Jesus died for your specific sin that you might have done today. The thing you did last week, the thing you did last night, he died for that. And he killed it. So that you can live. Because he lived. Because he's alive. He's in heaven now at the right hand of the Father. He's talking about you. He's telling God about you, how much he loves you, how much he forgave you, how much he gave up for you, and how you get to experience this life now. I get to experience this life now. This isn't just some like churchy stuff we talk about. This is like real life that we get to experience because of what happened on the cross and at the resurrection. And so, man, you're in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade right now, and you are going through some junk that I don't fully understand. Your leaders don't fully understand it. Some of you are experiencing stuff in your families that I, I, I've only seen in movies. But what I love and what gives me comfort and what gives me hope and what should give you hope is knowing that it doesn't matter what you're struggling with and what you're dealing with because God loves you. God sees you. Jesus saw you when he was on the cross. And he's offering you life. He's offering you forgiveness right now. He's been offering you life. He's going to continue to offer you life. This doesn't go away after tonight. It's still there. But for some of you, this might be the first time this is like clicking for you. And so I just want you to have the opportunity that I got when I was 10 which is to accept Jesus as your savior. And so where you're at, I don't want you to do anything weird or crazy. I just want you to close your eyes so you can hear what I'm going to say to you. I don't want you looking at your phone. I don't want you talking to anybody. I just want you to hear what I'm going to say. Because I just want you to know how you can respond to this message of Jesus. God says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Every single instance where we see someone crying out to God, he rescues them. He never doesn't do that. He will save you if you ask to be saved. If you're like, what am I being saved from? You're being saved from everything we just talked about, your sin. The stuff that you've done that has messed up, that has missed the mark that is sucking the life out of you or someone else. The stuff that doesn't lead to life, that's the stuff you need saving from. Because he not only saves you from that, but he also gives you his life. And so right where you're at, if you're like, man, I want to accept this Jesus. I want to know this forgiveness. I want to know this love. I want to be a son or a daughter of God. I want to start to have this relationship I want to be redeemed. I want to be rescued. Just right at your seat, wherever you're at, between you and God. Just ask him to forgive you, to save you. Tell him you want to accept Jesus. I'm going to give you a second to do that. And while you're doing that, everybody in here who's a Christian, I just want you to listen to me, eyes closed. 
I want you, just like I want me, to really celebrate and be excited about Easter this year, like never before. Because Easter is something really, as us Christians, we're supposed to be celebrating every single day. He's bringing us to life every single day. He's forgiven us every single day. He, he is continuing to redeem us. So this isn't something that we really celebrate just once a year, but it is a moment to remember. And so for you, man, I want you to put yourself in that spot, seeing Jesus on the cross, of knowing that you're actually in his head right then. You, not just some figment of you, like you. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows you. And the stuff that you've done is why he's up there. And that's not a guilt thing, and that's not a shame thing. That's a love thing. He's up there because he loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to take care of that stuff. Reflect on that for a second. And then whether you just accepted Jesus or you're just making that more personal, I just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the fact that he's risen. He's offered us life. We get to live now and forever in his presence. We get to experience freedom and hope no matter what circumstance comes our way, no matter how hard life gets, we get Jesus. And that's better. And it's bigger because he's bigger and he's better. So let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that the story we read tonight is not just some history lesson. It's not just some church ceremony. It's not some just thing that we do at Easter time because it's just something we do. This is a hugely impactful, personal story of redemption for each one of us in the room. And it impacts each one of us differently, but yet it impacts all of us the same at the same time. So I pray for any of my friends that accepted Jesus for the first time tonight. They are saved. They have been rescued. They've been redeemed. They've come to life. They're a new creation. I thank you for that. I pray for each one of my friends in here who know you, that they'd be able to celebrate you and remember the cross in a more personal way than maybe ever before. And so God, I just pray that as we, we worship and then as we go into our groups later tonight, we would take just a sense of celebration and hope into those things because man, we have been redeemed. You are not in the grave. You are alive. You have raised to life not only you, but you've raised us to life with you. And we don't have to worry about our sin. We don't have to worry about death anymore. We don't have to worry about not knowing where or what we're doing, why we're on the planet. We don't have to worry about any of those things. You took care of all of those things on the cross. And you conquered all those things when you rose again, God. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So help us to worship you now. Help us to focus on the cross. Focus on Jesus and the new life we have in him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen.